0: This morning, I want to take a diversion. We've been going through Luke chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This morning, I want to go back into the Old Testament. I want to give you a taste of what it's like on Sunday night here. We go through the Old Testament on, on Sunday night. And so, I'm going to be going back into the Old Testament to the book of 2 Kings. We, I was... Recently at a pastor's conference, I took about a dozen guys down to Maryland where we had a pastor's conference and about a thousand guys uh, were there and we're uh, just learning from the word of God. If you want to know what happens at a Calvary Chapel pastor's conference, it's the same thing really that happens here on a Sunday morning. You just go and you listen to, to teaching, the teaching of God's word. That's what we need. That's what pastors need. And there was an emphasis there on the need, our need, for the Holy Spirit, for the power of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our relationship with God is just going to become like a, a burdensome exercise. And we'll be going to church, and we'll be uh, praying, and we'll doing the things that churchy people do, religious people do, but then after a while it'll become burdensome, wearisome without the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Not only that, the calling that God has on our life, every person who comes to Jesus Christ, God puts a calling on their life. That Your calling, the thing that God has called you to do, that job, the, the, even your marriage, your ministry, whatever, it will become burdensome. burdensome. Not only that, It will not be fruitful without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. We're going to be going to 2 Kings in the Old Testament. If you could rise for the reading of God's word. A story about Elijah. He was a famous prophet. A rather unusual story. And anytime there's anything that is out of the ordinary, unusual. I just love it. I love to go in there, and the Lord has a specific purpose for it. And, you know, the whole counsel of God, the, the Word is given to us by God for us not to be left with a question mark in our minds, but to understand it. And uh, this is one of those that you really need to dig in, uh, but it's all there. The, God has a powerful message there, and it's a message about the Holy Spirit and how we get him the holy spirit is a person him so with that second kings chapter 2 second kings chapter 2 in the old testament and it came to pass when the lord was about to take elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that elijah went with elisha From Gilgal. Now, Elisha was sort of the student of Elijah. He was a student of him. After Elijah was taken up to heaven, Elisha, his student, sort of took over the mantle, the responsibility of being the prophet of Israel. So it says here in verse 1 it says that before Elijah was taken up to heaven, he went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to. Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. Jericho. But he, Elisha, said, As the Lord lives and your, your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Verse 6, Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over and Elijah said to Elisha, ask, What may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken away from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. "'Then it happened as they continued on and talked "'that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire "'and separated the two of them, "'and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. "'And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, "'My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen.' "'So he saw him no more. "'And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces.' He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where's the God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Let's pray. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would give us a full understanding of of this story, Lord, this morning. And Lord, in it, there's a wonderful message from you to us. And we want to understand all that message. We want to embrace it with our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So in this story, we have this Remarkable instance of, to me, the most remarkable thing about this story. There's a number of remarkable things about it. Obviously, it's kind of remarca- remarkable to see someone who actually did not die. Elijah never died, he was taken up into heaven. There's one other person in the Bible, other than Jesus, uh, that. That this happened to. Actually, Jesus died himself and was raised uh, from the dead, but there was one other person. That was Enoch. There's two people in the Bible who, they never died. God just took them up into heaven. That's uh, quite a a remarkable thing. But what is even more remarkable about this story, in fact, it took me actually years to understand it, sort of get it. It's Elijah asks Elisha, right before he's taken up to heaven, so Ask me, what do you want? What do you want before I am taken up to heaven? And Elisha said, Please give me a double portion of what you have. That's an amazing thing. And why do I say that? Because Elijah, I mean, he was the man in the Old Testament. I mean, we are talking about the guy who all of even Jews to this day look at him as sort of the embodiment of the prophets, the embodiment of the power of God. When Elijah wanted a, uh, a you know wanted there to be a famine in the land, he prayed that there would be a famine in the land and for three and a half years there was no rain. When he wanted the rain to return, he prayed the rain came. At one point, Elijah really took on all the enemies of Israel single-handedly. He there were 450 I think prophets of Baal who was a a foreign god, a false god, a god which really it was the worship of licentiousness or sex or uh, or it, sexual immorality And uh, the just it was a, a base kind of false religion And he took on 450 prophets of, of Baal He ch- made a challenge to them He gathered them all in one place in Israel And uh, he built an altar of wood And I think he put a bull on top of it And uh, he said, okay, if your God, Baal, is the true God Call fire down from heaven and you know, burn up this offering, and they did all day and afternoon. They they cried out to uh, to their God. Of course, nothing happened. It happened. It was like talking to the air. The prophets of Baal. But then Elijah came, and actually, he dumped water on the whole thing, and then he called out to God, and he said, God. Call down, God, bring down fire, burn up this offering. and, And fire actually came down from heaven. An awesome display of power. When Jesus, in the New Testament, he called a few of his disciples to the mountain to give them a picture of what he would be like reigning in all his glory. And he was transfigured, he was changed. And it says his, his, his uh, clothing and his countenance were like lightning or like light shining with brightness. And then with him were Moses who represented the law and Elijah who represented the prophets. So one big-time dude, this guy Elijah, in the Old Testament. And now he asked his, his pupil, his student, so what can I do for you before I go up to heaven? And he goes, I want double of whatever you have. Wow. You, you know the first time I read that I you know I, that's just pride, it's presumption. Why would everyone, anyone ever do anything like that? Well, uh, the, we learned something um, about God here. God answers he, he actually answers the prayer and he gives Elijah a double portion of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And what you see is is Elisha, his student, goes on and does double the miracles. If you you count them up, I believe it's almost exactly double that Elijah had. He had had a double portion of his spirit. tells us something about the heart of God is that if we go to God with humility and ask for something for the purpose of him being glorified, not us, him, God will answer and he will give. But... This morning, I just want to focus on, wow, if he can ask for a double portion of his spirit, and if this is in the Bible, certainly we need to also be asking really for the same thing, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit on our life. And very quickly... I want to talk about the purpose or role of the Holy Spirit. We find three references to God in the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct persons, yet they are one person. Don't ask me to figure that out or explain that. It's a mystery. Three persons, yet one. God the Father is just that. He's our Father. We are His children. He's all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. He's called El Shaddai in Hebrew, God Almighty. Then there's God the Son, Jesus Christ. God the Son, anytime you see a manifestation of God in physical form in the Bible, New Testament, or the Old, it's Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And then you have God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, through the Holy Spirit, God the Father and God the Son, accomplish their will on the earth. The Holy Spirit speaks to us the will of God. He answers prayer. He saves. He heals. He performs miracles. He builds his church. He judges. He raises one man up. He brings another down. The Holy Spirit does. Raises up a nation, brings another down. He is the force, the driving force behind... uh, what a man or woman does for God. If, some, if, if a man or woman of God has the Holy Spirit active in their life, there will be fruit and the manifestation of God in their life. If a, if a man or woman does not, it, the Holy Spirit is not moving in and through them, they will be fruitless and there will be no real evidence that the hand of God is upon them. So I would say, I, boy, I, this is, yeah, I really want the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Elisha, performed a miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Same thing in the New Testament, the book of Acts. In X chapter 2, the uh, d- disciples of Jesus, the early disciples of Jesus, Jesus was taken up into heaven. He said, you wait in Jerusalem until you are empowered from on high by the Holy Spirit. And they wait. They prayed, 120 of them. They, at the time, they were frightened. They were scared. They all scattered at the time that Jesus was arrested. They were hiding at the, at, when Jesus was being crucified on the cross except Perhaps one John, uh, and 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 they were really at the time just a real a motley crew, a, a weak people, men and women without strength. But the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two came upon them. Next thing you know, Peter, who was just before uh, he was uh, denying Jesus, he was hiding uh, from the authorities. He stands up in front of everyone, preaches a sermon, three thousand. Men and women come to, to to Jesus Christ to salvation. Then they are baptized, and then in the next chapter, you see James, uh, uh, rather Peter and John, uh, raising up a man who had been lame for over thirty years. And then in the uh, chapters after that, you see see the church just being raised up in all parts of of the really the world, the known world at the time. What? How did that happen? The Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. So here in, in 2 Kings chapter uh, 2, we, there is a wonderful, wonderful lesson about what we need to do or who we need to be or where we need to go in order for us to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible does say that when any man or woman receives Jesus Christ into their life, when they, by by faith, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, he died for their sins, and he was raised uh, for their justification, raised to give them salvation and life, everyone receives the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says that in order to be a witness in the world, in order to fulfill the calling that God has on your life, you need what is called a baptism of this Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to call, come upon you. In other words, we all, all have uh, the Holy Spirit in us when we are saved, when God saves us, but either at, that t- at the time we're saved or at some subsequent time, there are references throughout the book of Acts of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And Jesus says the purpose of that happen, of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, it's not so you can just bathe in, uh, in, in, in yourself and be self-absorbed and, and, and the tingly feelings of God and these pleasure-happy feelings and doing somersaults and this type of thing at church. No. It's you, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Jesus says, so that you can be witnesses unto all the world. That's the purpose. It has nothing to do with ourselves. It's for God's glory. And you know that said that when we when we are give ourselves to Jesus Christ and we have the Holy Spirit, there's something in us that is wants to. It, it's, it, there's a drive within every person who has really been saved by God to glorify God in their life, and for that reason, everybody who is really truly saved by God, they want the Holy Spirit because they want God to be glorified in their life, and and so. I want to, so back to 2 Kings chapter 2, we want to just go over what is it that happened to Elisha that made him get a double portion of the Holy Spirit here, of God's Spirit? Well, you notice here in chapter 2 that they, are, they go to four different cities in Israel, to four different cities in Israel they go to, in chapter two, chapter, uh, rather, in verse one, it says they start off in a place called Gilgal. And then in verse two, it says they go to a place called Bethel. And then in verse four, it says they go to a place called Jericho. And then in verse six, it says they go to the Jordan, the Jordan River. Now, do we have that map? I want to show you where these places are. There's four cities in Israel, just to give you a vantage point here. The first, again, is Gilgal. And it's, it's right there where the, the, the red dot is there. And it's right over the Jordan River. It's, when Israel was in the wilderness, they were on the east side, this side. They were in the wilderness in that side of the Jordan River. When they promised, uh, crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, they went over into the west side. And at the very beginning is Gilgal. Then right next to Gilgal is Jericho, right there. Jericho is where the walls came tumbling down. And then, and then as well, Bethel is a little north, all in the same area. It's right there. It's a little hard to see. Uh, Bethel, and we'll read more about Bethel. And then finally, the Jordan River is what connects the Sea of Galilee way up there, and it runs all the way down to the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea, as it is called. So they go to these four places. Now, there is a reason that Elijah, right before he is taken up to heaven, goes to these four places. I believe they have deep and profound meaning, deep and profound profound meaning. First, Gilgal. They're in the wilderness. They have come out of Egypt. In Egypt, they were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. They are slaves to the Egyptians. They... We have every reason to believe that, you know, in in Egypt as well, they were not living for God there. In in fact, they were doing all the things the Egyptians were doing in Egypt. That's why as soon as they got a chance, what did they do when Moses was up the mountain? What did they do? They built a calf and they started worshiping it. They they were just going back to doing the same things they were doing when they were in Egypt. So they, they were slaves there. In Egypt. God took them out of Egypt and and they spent 40 years in the wilderness and on that 40th year, they crossed over the Jordan and they went to this place called Gilgal. And Gilgal was right near Jericho. Now Jericho was the first place that they were going to go and they were going to defeat. God said, go into the promised land, defeat all the cities and nations there and possess the land. It's your land. It's a land flowing from milk and honey. No longer will you be like slaves in Egypt. You are going to be going into the the, the promised land. And and so the first place they had to go was this place called Jericho. Uh, But before they got to Jericho, they were in this place right over the Jordan River called Gilgal. Now, Gilgal uh, means, it means rolling away, roll away. And I want you to go, we're going to do a little study in the Old Testament to Joshua chapter 5 right now. Joshua chapter 5, that's to the left. And we're going to read a little bit about this place called Gilgal, this place called Gilgal. So by by chapter 5, they've gone over the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5 is what, the sixth book of the Bible? So my two, page 252. They've crossed to the Jordan River, and and this is what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites, who were on the west side of the Jordan, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the son of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. Wow, that's a lot of circumcision the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt were males. All the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt Had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed or they died, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that He would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, that He would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 7. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach or the shame of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now, some of you have a a footnote next to the word Gilgal. It's what? Rolled away. What was rolled away? The shame of Egypt. The sin. The, The circumcision. Circumcision represents the cutting away of the flesh, the cutting away of the sinful man. You know, it's, it's not just a religious cer- uh, ceremony circumcision. It's a representation of what is happening deep in the heart. When the Bible says a man is circumcised, what really it represents is, is to be with God, to follow God, you need to, you, have, you need to have a circumcision, a cutting away of your heart, of the flesh of the sinful man. Now, so the first place in 2 Kings chapter 1 that Elijah and Elisha are is this place called Gilgal, right before Elijah is taken up into heaven. This is the first thing that needs to happen to you if you're going to have the Holy Spirit come upon you and be active. You need to go. To Gilgal. Now, what is Gilgal? Let's put it up here. Gilgal represents the cutting away of sin and the rolling away of shame. If you want the Holy Spirit to come upon you and to be powerful in your life, you need to go to Gilgal. You need to take all that which is in you, that addiction to sin, that love of sin, that lust for sin, and you need you, you need to let God circumcise you. And, 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 you know, sometimes getting rid of a sin in your life is, it, let me tell you, and guys, you may wince or everybody may wince. It's more painful, really, than circumcision. Circumcision, the pain, you know, goes away in a few days. But ripping out sin out of your life. I mean, some, by faith, we just need to lay hold of it and we need to rip it out with a grace that God provides in 2 Peter chapter 1, the Bible says that God gives us everything that we need for a life of godliness, including just ripping it, ripping it away and putting it on the pile of the hill of circumcision. But the other thing that Gilgal is about, can we keep that up there? The other thing that Gilgal is about, it's the rolling away of the shame. Many of us come into a relationship with Jesus. There is a life of shame behind us. All kinds of garbage that we did. All kinds of people that we hurt. There can be, you know, there's whatever sexual immorality. There can be uh, abortion. There can be stealing. There can be uh, robbing, cheating, violent acts against people. And guess what's a, guess what happens when we live that kind of life? And I know I know full well about that kind of life myself. Shame. Shame. We carry it with us. But if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if the, rather, if the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, you need to go to Gilgal, which is not only a cutting away of the uh, of sin, of the flesh, it's the rolling away of the shame. Jesus died for your sins on the cross, and because he died and was raised to the new life, it says before the Lord, you are absolutely perfect blameless without reproach repro- and the shame you can literally walk away from all the guilt and shame associated with your life before Christ. And so many Christians they just hold on to the shame and they're also holding on to the sin. But as even if you hold on hold on you can do that but you'll never have the holy spirit come upon you. Now the second place that they went to was where in second kings chapter in, in 2 Kings chapter 2, it was, a, it was Jericho. It said in verse 4, it says, Then Elisha uh, said to Elisha, Elisha, stay here, please. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. So Jericho. Oh, oh, oh. Ooh, back up. I skipped one. Oh, very good. Who said that? You're paying attention. All right. They went before Jericho. It says they went to Bethel, verse 2. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. Now Bethel, go back to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, will read about Bethel. Who named Bethel Bethel? Bethel, Bethel. Who named Bethel, Bethel? Anyone? No, 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 no. Jacob. And we'll read about that right now. Genesis 28. 10 through 9. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went up to Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. In other words, it was dark. And he took one of the stones on that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. So his his pillow was a rock. Wow. Verse 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending... And descending on it, angels were going up and down this ladder... And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad uh, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of that city has had been loose previously. So Bethel, it means house of God. It's where Jacob went to bed, and he dreamed and saw a ladder set up from where he was to reach to the top of heaven with angels in, of God coming in and down and, and up it. And, and it says there that the Lord spoke to him and said, All this land I'm going to give to you. And, and by your descendants, all nations on earth will be blessed. So, first you need to go to Gilgal, that, which represents the, the cutting away of sin and the rolling away of the shame if you want the Holy Spirit to come upon you. But there are, there's another thing. You need to go to Bethel. What does Bethel represent? Well, what's he doing here anyway? What was he doing? Jacob, at this point. He's running away. Why? Why? Because he had just stolen and ripped off his brother Esau. He just cheated, and it, Jacob, it, the, the name actually means deceiver. Jacob was a liar, he was a cheater, and and, and he was a thief, he was all of those. Uh, he had stolen his uh, brother's birthright from him, he took advantage of his brother, and he, uh, he stole uh, from his brother, and then the blessing that his was his brother Esau's He concocted a big scheme with his mother, Rebecca. And he which basically he went into his father, who had lost his eyesight, and his he, his hearing was bad, and he pretended like he was his older brother, and you know he his older brother was hairy, so he put on like a goat skin. And, and and his his older brother liked to go out into the field, so he put the smell of the field you know the on on the goat skin and and he basically tricked his father into thinking that he was his older brother. He got the blessing from his father. And then afterwards, it was found out. And he has, he's got a bolt. He's got to leave. He's running at this point. Jacob, the other thing about him is up to, up to this point, where we see him in, in chapter 28 here, he didn't care. There's no indication that he cared at all about God. You never heard him talk about God before this point. Uh, you, his life was all about one thing. What was that? Jacob. It's about one thing, Jacob. That's all it was up until this point. So he's running away from his father and his brother because he's just ripped them off. He's completely betrayed his own family, his own flesh and blood. He falls asleep, and God comes to him. And he he gives him this incredible vision, which, by the way, is, is... it's a glimpse into the spiritual activity that's all around us that we don't know about. But 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 it, 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 he gives him this incredible vision of, of God's activity in his life, and then he promises, "Oh, by the way, you Jacob, you liar, stealer, cheater, all those things, I'm going to give you all this land, and through your descendants, every nation on earth will be blessed." That confuse anybody? Is that like reward? Is that how you reward your kids? Uh, you know, is this how we, we, we get a parenting book where that's coming up in June? Is this what we're going to teach at that parenting class? You know, your, your kid's a liar, a cheater, and a stealer, and you just go. Why does God visit him such a powerful way? There's only one reason, because God is love, and the Bible says he is abounding in grace, and man's, God's relationship with man isn't based entirely on grace, What is grace? It's getting what we don't deserve. It's getting what we have not earned. God's relationship with man is based entirely on on grace. Not on how good man is, but on how great God is. God's relationship with you is not based upon how good you are. It's not based on how great he is. And this, we're at the first book of the Bible. We are being introduced to who God is. And guess what? Unless you understand... That your relationship with God has nothing whatsoever to do with you, but all to do with just the greatness of God, the Holy Spirit will not come upon you. So, what does Jericho represent? Bethel. Uh, rather, Jer- Bethel represent? Thank you. It represents the fact that God chooses you as a son or as a daughter, without regard to your past, present, or future behavior. Now, that is shocking. To, to, to people. But it's true. Bethel represents the fact that God chooses you as a son or as a daughter without regard to your past, present, or even your future behavior. Has, in the book of Romans, Paul says, We have found out about a righteousness that is apart from the law. And, and, and this is what Bethel represents. This guy, Jacob, receiving this unbelievable blessing from, from God, and at the time, he's running away from lying, cheating and stealing. The Bible says in the book of Romans that when we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. We had our own visitation from God, just like Jacob, when we were as yet enemies or sinners of God, sinners against God. Jesus died for us. That's number two. That's number two. So let's go to the third place. Now we got it. It's, it's, this one really is. It's Jericho. So the next place in 2 Kings that they go to is a place called Jericho. We're a little bit more familiar with this. Again, verse 4, Elisha said to him, Elisha, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So for Jericho, I want to read a few verses from, again, from the book of Joshua. So go back to the left. I told you we were doing a little study in the Old Testament. Again, to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. Chapter 6, in order to understand what Jericho represents and how you and I, we all need to go, not only to Gilgal, not only to Bethel, but also to Jericho. We need to read these. This from chapter six. It says in verse one. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Josh Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once, this you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, and every man straight before him. Now just go to verses fifteen and sixteen it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And then in verse 20, it says, so the people shouted when the uh, the priest blew the trumpet, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a gray shout that the walls fell down. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Okay, so what are the first three again? In order to have the Holy Spirit come upon you, one, go to Gilgal, representing the cutting away of the sin and and the rolling away of your shame. Number two, Bethel, represents the fact that God chooses you as a son or as a daughter without regard to your past, present, or even your future behavior. The third place is Jericho. Elisha followed Elijah to Jericho. What does it represent? It represents faith in action. It, it, it represents marching forward in the face of the impossible. Can we get that one up here? Jericho, Jericho. Jericho represents faith in action, marching forward in the face of the impossible. So listen, it's possible to go to that first place, Gilgal, and, and sort of that work of repentance in your heart and let go of all the shame and the guilt. You can go there. You can also go to Bethel, to that place where you understand it's all about God, and, and your relationship with him has not anything to do with anything good you have done, or even any bad thing you've done, but it's it's based entirely upon how great he is. But you can do those two things, and you cannot go to Jericho. In other words, you can sort of accept God and his salvation, but then you're sort of... There's something that I see in, in, in Christians often. They're sort of paralyzed by what's ahead of them. So they left go of the shame of their past. They've left go of the guilt. They understand the grace of God, but before them... Is Jericho now? What was Jericho? Walls. How tall were they? Well, scholars say between 30 and 50 feet high, and 10, somewhere between 10 and 15 feet wide. And so you can imagine the children of Israel before those walls. They're looking at the walls. They, this is absolutely impossible. Same thing happens to Christians who, once they've been saved by grace and they understand the grace of God, still, they'll look ahead of them and they'll go, I have so much garbage in my past. I have so, there's so many broken relationships, so much mayhem, so, so much misery that I've left behind. I, it's like 40-foot walls that are 40-foot high walls that are t- uh, 10 to 15 feet thick. And they remain paralyzed in their Christian life. Or they or they re- they read the will of God for their lives, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other and let them s- slap the other. You have heard that it said, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. It, it just seems so... It seems so impossible that that it's it's like a a 50-foot high wall ahead of you. But Elijah took, but rather Elisha followed Elijah there. And again, if we could have that up, Derek, it represents faith in action marching forward in the face of the impossible. Marching forward in the sense they march the way that God wants them to be. And guess what? The Bible says that we as Christians, we need to live by faith and not by sight. Yeah, it all looks impossible before you. It looks crazy impossible living this life. What's the solution? Marching, not running, just moving forward. This is what I tell people all the time, every week. I'm in some kind of counseling session or whatever. They describe to me circumstances that even to me sound impossible. I mean, this is crazy, this person, the, the, the mess they've made of their lives. This is just crazy. And, and, and I, I just tell them the same thing. I don't use the words, but it's, it's you got to go to Jericho. You just got to march. You just got to walk forward, not run. I didn't tell them to run around Jericho. Just move forward. And you have to do that in order for the holy spirit to come upon you because let me tell you if you stand paralyzed before everything that, that's before you the bible says jesus says that he doesn't he doesn't honor lack of faith he doesn't honor unbelief move forward marching the last place was jordan the last place that elisha went to was jordan the river jordan now, I gave this message about five years ago, but I, I, while I was actually, I was in Haiti last week, had a wonderful time with my daughter. Things are going wonderful down there. The church is thriving. We, we have an orphanage down there, and it's just wonderful just to be a part of it. And uh, I was just, uh, during the time I was there, I have a lot of time to myself there because things are really slow in Haiti. They're really slow. So I have a lot of time just to, put open up the bible and i just i, I opened up this this second kings chapter 2 and i really reflected on it again i really believe the lord spoke to me about jordan in particular in verse 6 it says elijah said to elisha stay here please for the lord has sent me on the on to the jordan but he said as the lord lives and as your soul lives i will not leave you i will not leave you and then it says Verse 7, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now, Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elijah, ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. Elijah says, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken away from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with the horses of of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him. No more. And he took hold of his clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he took up the mantle of Elijah. So the mantle was some kind of uh, staff or something else that represented he, Elijah, was the prophet of Israel. And Elisha takes it up uh, himself. And it says in verse 14, he took the mantle of Elijah and he struck the water, said, where is the God of Elijah? The wa- the water uh, split in two and it divided Uh, This way and that, so Elisha crossed over, which means what? He got the double portion. He got the double portion. Now, very important. Uh, Later on in the same chapter, it says, so Elisha uh, uh, goes in verse nineteen, and and he meets some men uh, of another city. I believe he went back to Jericho from the Jordan, and he said to the men of the city, "said to Elisha, please notice the situation of the city is pleasant, as my lord sees." But the water is bad, and the ground is barren. So there was some kind of lake or pond uh, there in that area, and it was just sour. bitter water. They couldn't drink it. And so the ground could not... They couldn't farm the ground around the lake, and they couldn't drink the water that was in the lake. And... In verse 20, it says, Elisha said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water, cast the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remained healed to this day according to the word Elisha, which he spoke. This is what the Holy Spirit will do for your life. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Elisha went to a place, to a community he was involved with, and they said, we're in big trouble. This body of water that which we rely on, it's bitter. We can't drink it anymore. We get sick when we drink it. And not only that, all the area, the land around it, we can't grow anything there. We can't harvest it. We can't seed there because of the bad water. And Elisha comes and he heals it all. And guess what? You, every single one of you are surrounded every single day where it's the same thing. People are saying the same kind of thing as verse 19. Look, you know, my life, the city is pleasant, but the water is bad and the ground is barren, meaning there's no, there's barrenness in their life. There's emptiness in their life. There's no fruit in their life. You know what the life of the world is? It, it, it's, it's all about who? Them. The li- it's the life of Jacob, all about them. Life is about how many bowls of past pasta you can have in 70 years. How many birthday parties? How many vacations? That's what life is. But totally meaningless. It's this meaningless cycle. You know, how many upgrades of the same car from year to year? And, and, and people, they're, they're surrounding you every single day. And it's the same thing. The water is bad and the ground is barren. And it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you that you will be able to make a difference in their life and the, and the life of the world. So what does the Jordan represent? Well, the Jordan was the place where they crossed over initially from the wilderness into the promised land, but the Jordan represents something much, much more. Let's put, let's put it up here, the Jordan. The Jordan represents taking possession of the one thing, the only thing, the only one that matters, Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say that? Turn to Mark chapter 1, way over to the New Testament. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, third book of the New Testament. Everybody there? Some churches say, everybody there, say amen. 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 Verse 5, then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him. Who's him? John the Baptist. And were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, there comes one after me who's mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I... Indeed, baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Why did Elijah, why was his last why why was his last journey before he was taken up to heaven? Why was it the Jordan? It was out of expectation. Jesus says Jesus himself says He said to the Pharisees, you know, you guys go through all the scriptures, you study them so hard, little do you realize they're all about me. Chapter by chapter throughout the Old Testament, if we look hard, we will see Jesus Christ there. I believe with all my heart, Elijah was going to the Jordan out of expectation of who was going to come to the river Jordan someday. It would be the Messiah. It would be the anointed one. It would be the son of God. Now, when when John the Baptist was out there, it says everybody went out to the Jordan. And why was everyone going out there? To be introduced to who? To the Messiah, to Jesus the Messiah. It says right there uh, in verse 6, Rather, again, in in, in verse 8, I indeed will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, the book of John in the parallel passage says that when Jesus approached, John introduced him to the multitude by saying what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's in John chapter 1. So Elijah went to the Jordan, and right after he went there, he was taken up into heaven. Why? To to show Elisha the principle. Sure, yes, you need to go to Gilgal, where it's the cutting away of uh, of the flesh. Yes, you need to go to Bethel where you understand it's all about grace, nothing about what you can earn or whatever you deserve, your relationship with God. Yes, you have to go to Jericho where you see that 50-foot wall uh, in front of you, but you walk forward by faith. But most importantly, you need to go to the Jordan. It's that place of expectation, that place that the Messiah would one day show up. And the Bible says that he will baptized with the Holy Spirit. John said, I baptize with water. He shall baptize by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. And then what happened? Elisha got the double portion. Where? Did he get it in Gilgal? No. Did he get it in Bethel? No. Did he get it in Jericho? No. He got it at the Jordan. That's where Jesus was going someday. And this is meant to be a foreshadowing a foretelling of what, what would happen one day when the Messiah came to Israel. Jesus, in the, he's called our exceedingly great reward. He is our reward. So if we could put up number four one more time. Can we put up number four? The Jordan represents taking possession of the one thing, the only thing, the only one that matters, Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in Isaiah 53, verse 5. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, he, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. In other words, your sin, all that stuff that you have done in your life and will do in your life where you disobeyed God, Jesus was punished for them, for your sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. Imagine this. Imagine the cross, okay? Imagine the cross Jesus is facing out. Imagine him. This will just give you an illustration of what really happened at the cross. Imagine the cross. Jesus is facing outward. The cross is turned on its back where he's facing upward. No Gravity comes down. God created gravity. Gravity is a weight that, that bears down on us. But imagine the cross facing up and, and instead of it just gravity or air coming down or the pressure of the, of the atmosphere, um, uh, imagine a hundred, ton, a hundred ton of steel block coming down and just crushing Jesus. That's just, just a little glimpse of what it was like to take on the judgment, the wrath of God for us. Just, that's just a little glimpse that I just wanted to introduce to you. He was crushed for our ne- In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, he was sweating drops of blood and, and, and he was in so much agony. Why? Well, it explains why. He says, God, take this, Father, if you can, take this cup away from me. What was it? The cup of wrath, the cup of judgment. For the first time in his life, he had dwelt in all eternity with God. And for the first time in his life, it says the father turned his head, uh, t- uh, turned his head away from him, turned himself away from him. He, he experienced, he tasted hell for you. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says this, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Matthew 13, verse 45. Why do we go to the uh, to the um, River Jordan? Why do we have to go there in order to get the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Because he's our great reward. The, it says in Matthew 13, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You want to have the Holy Spirit come upon you? You need to go to Jordan where there's that pearl of great price, where you recognize that Jesus and Jesus alone is what matters, is the only one that matters. Finally, in Genesis 15, verse 1, Genesis 15, verse 1, I love this. God says, I am your exceedingly great reward. That's what Jordan is. That's what the river Jordan is, is when you recognize that Jesus Christ is your exceedingly great reward. So let's put all four of them up there again. You want the Holy Spirit to come upon you with a power and for you to be a healing force in the life of the people around you. Gilgal represents the cutting away of sin and the rolling away of, the, uh, of of shame. Number 2, Bethel represents the fact that God chooses you as a son or as a daughter without regard to your past, present or future. Number 3, Jericho represents faith in action, just simply marching forward in the face of the impossible. And number four, is, uh, it's the Jordan River. It's the, uh, it represents taking possession of the one thing, the only thing, the only one that matters. Jesus Christ. So there's one last thing to put this all together. Elisha follows Elijah to Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. But there's one other thing. If you want the Holy Spirit, you gotta want him. You gotta exceed, you, you gotta seek him. You, you, if you want the Holy Spirit to come upon him, this very, very simple thing. You gotta, you gotta want him. What, what had happened each time um, in verse 2? Each time Elijah said, I'm going to this next place, what did he say? He said, He said, stay here, please, Elisha, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But it says, Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And he said the same thing when he went to Jericho and the same thing he went to the Jordan. He said, Elijah said, stay here. Just stay here, don't worry about it. I'm going to Jericho. Elisha says, no way, man. As the Lord lives, as my soul lives, I am gonna go with you. And he said the same thing when he went to the, went to the Jordan. Elijah said, stay here. You, don't worry about it. You stay here. Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as your soul is, I will not leave you. Which says what? What does that tell us about the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon us? We have a choice. You know, we can be a say-nothing, do-nothing, be-nothing Christian. We can. Why? Because the Bible says it's all about grace. We have a choice to be that kind of person, a say nothing, do nothing, be nothing Christian. Or we, do, we need to seek the Lord and, and we say, Look, I want it. I want the Holy Spirit. I want to make a difference in, in, in my family and I want to glorify you in my community. I want it. As you live, Lord, and as your soul, as my soul lives, I, I want the Holy Spirit. And you really get the sense that there was no way that this guy, Elisha, was going to do... Was, he was not going to let go until he received that double portion of the Holy Spirit. But first, he had to go to Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and the Jordan. I'm going to call the worship team up now. If the worship team can come up. I just want to close the service... With an invitation to anyone and everyone who really just doesn't want to let go until they get it to to receive the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to, to come upon you again. The Bible says that when you ask Jesus in your life, you receive the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. He dwells in you. The Bible actually uses that preposition, in you. But then there are references after that to the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And anyone who wants that, you know, only the Holy Spirit can put all these things together in our own heart. Only the Holy Spirit can put Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan together in our own heart. But if you want God to put all that together in your heart and you want to go to all those places, you want to just cut away the, the flesh, the sinful man, and, and throw, away, throw away the shame. If you want to fully recognize before the Lord that it's all, your relationship with him is all about grace and that, that there's nothing that you're capable of apart from his grace, if you want to just walk and march toward that 100-foot wall, or that 50-foot wall that's 50 feet high and 15 uh, uh, feet thick, if you want to go to the Jordan where you really recognize, you know, Jesus, you have not been my exceedingly great reward. You haven't been my pearl of great price. At least on a day-by-day basis, Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him, you know, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's all. It's it's the pearl of great price, and it's 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 treasuring him as a, as your exceedingly great ward uh, from day to day. I just want the worship team starts. I just want you to come up here, and I want to pray for you. And if one person comes up, that's fine. If no one comes up, it's a choice. It says it right here. If fifty people come up, I'll pray for all of you. But we need. I need. I want it. I, I, I want the Holy Spirit to come upon me. I want to be like uh, uh, Elisha when he goes into this community and someone tells him, you know, the water is bad and the ground is bare. Do something and be able to actually do something. But the Bible says we can only do it as the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He's within us, but he needs to come upon us. Here we are in the Bible. This is a wonderful lesson about where we need to go to and who we need to be, become, the people we need to be. And God says we can become that by his grace if we're like Elisha and we just go after it. So as, as uh, Albert and Greg sing, and, and you want that, you come up here. I'll pray for you.